Hi, Smarties. Today, we welcome Elaine Taylor-Klaus. She is a parenting coach that trains professionals and parents on the coach approach. Steph and I have known her for a really long time, and we adore her. I think we were probably nervous to ask her to come onto the podcast, and I'm excited to share that we had a wonderful conversation that you're about to listen to. And side note, we didn't get through everything that we wanted to talk to her about, so we'll be inviting her back. And she's already said yes. Today, we talk about perfectionism, how to have structure with flexibility, shooting all over yourself. That's S-H-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. The types of parents and the four phases of parenting and focusing on relationships instead of tasks. Elaine just wrote an amazing new book that Steph and I love called The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids with ADHD, Anxiety, and More. What parents and teachers really need to know to empower complicated kids with confidence and calm. And like we said to her during the episode, this is a book that would be incredibly valuable, not to parents of uncomplex children. All parents could really benefit from reading this book. In our extended conversation that takes place over on Patreon, we talk about a South African restaurant that Steph just went to in Atlanta, something called Hair Sparkles that hasn't made its way to LA yet, and one of the best questions ever asked, is it naughty or is it neurological? If you are interested in hearing that extended conversation over on Patreon, we would be honored with a $5 a month donation. In exchange, you will have access to all the backlog conversations and content that we only release over on that platform. Also, if you are interested in Learn Smarter Pro, Learn Smarter Pro is our eight-week business coaching program. Please go to our website, www.learnsmarterpodcast.com, and click on Learn Smarter Pro and sign up on the wait list, and we'll be in touch with an application. Or you can email us at Rachel and Steph at Learn Smarter Podcast. Now, let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Today we have with us Elaine Taylor-Klaus. We have known you for several years now, and I remember the first time I walked up to you and introduced myself, and I just remember walking away going... I need to know her. I need to know her. Yeah. And it was at the Chad conference, I think. And Steph called me after and she's like, you got to go look at what these women are doing. I did. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, Elaine. Oh, I am so excited to come be here and hang out with you guys for a while. This is perfect. Good to see you. So share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and who you do it for. So I'm Elaine Taylor-Klaus. I am the co-founder of ImpactParents.com, which used to be Impact ADHD for about nine years. We expanded into Impact Parents because we really wanted to reflect the full range of parents we were dealing with because it was never really just about ADHD, as it never really is with complex kids. And we are an online support, coaching, and training resource for parents of complex kids. And we work with parents all over the world. We teach parents how to take a coach approach to empowering these complex kids to really become independent and um, to see how capable and amazing they are. And I just love it. (laughs) We do too. (laughs) We spent a magical 
what was it, Steph? Two, three days? Yeah. Two with days. you guys in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We were part of your initial cohort of sanity school coaches, right? Sanity school trainers. Yep. Sanity school trainers. And that was a special room of special people. That was a room that got deep immediately amongst the people that we were with. And we're still very connected with everybody in that group. First of all, there's so much language that you taught us that has become very much a part of our vernacular and how we do our work as educational therapists, but also how we talk about things on the podcast. Stop shitting all over yourself is Mm -hmm. something we've absolutely say all the time. Assuming best intentions has become sort of a life principle. Taking aim has become. And so Steph and I were sitting there the whole time kind of watching you and Diane work together. And Diane is your partner in this endeavor. Mm-hmm. So what would you say about that? What would I say? <laughs> so l- let me put some context on it. So Diane and I run this amazing resource called Impact Parents. And we created a program called Sanity School for Parents, which is a behavior therapy training program. It's recommended treatment. And so when we met Rachel and Steph, we realized that what we do online, and sometimes people like to walk into a room. Like, remember back in the days when people used to walk into a room? Yeah, there was that. (laughs) Yeah. And so we wanted to not have people recreate the wheel, but we wanted to train other professionals in this approach, the sanity school, the coach approach, the language you were talking about, taking aim, assuming best intentions. All of that comes from the world of professional coaching. And so we wanted to train other professionals to be able to teach parents in local communities. And so the training that we were talking about, this two-day magic, was the first time we trained local providers to be able to teach this in local communities. But Diane and I have this particular style with each other. There's a little bit of Laverne and Shirley going on. We're very, very different from each other. And we have a really great working relationship in part because we're so different from each other. But I think also because we're coaches. And so we have this language and these tools in this facility to really have conversations with each other that I think a lot of business partners don't have. We have the hard talks. And so when we lead together, we do something called co-leading, which comes from co-active coaching. It's like a dance, right? We learn to dance with each other, to respect each other, to give each other space, not to step over each other, but to empower each other, just like we're trying to teach parents to empower their kids. And so I think that's what you're speaking to is that over the years, we've really learned to dance extremely well with each other. And sometimes we get tired of each other, but for the most part, (laughs) we're great dance partners. (laughs) I don't know if we had like a lunch break or we were driving back or something. And I remember saying, Rachel, you're so Elaine and I am so Diane. (laughs) And it was before the podcast and we knew that the podcast was coming. She was coming up with ideas and I was figuring out how the heck we were going to do this. Yeah, that's Elaine and Diane. (laughs) (laughs) And I talk first and then I have to give space to Steph to invite her to be a part of the conversation sometimes because my ideas will come faster to me. Mm-hmm. And I know what I want to say almost immediately. And so absolutely on this podcast, our listeners will hear me say, Steph, what would you add? <laughs> so you guys. That comes from us, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and part of it is to respectfully give space for your partner, right? And part of it is when you're answering something and you really can't remember if you got it all, you got somebody else there with you who's going to pick up the slack. Mm -hmm. So part of it is respect and part of it is, you know, a little bit of CYA. (laughs) A little. 
Her processing speed can be much faster than mine can. And so I got to just go in my own groove. And she knows now what best to do and and vice versa. So after we met you guys, I said to Rachel, their goals. Rachel and I are definitely thinking, yep, Elaine and Diane are goals. That's like one of the nicest things anybody said about us. Thank you. That's quite (laughs) lovely. It's true. We adore you guys and we adore the work that you do and... I'd love to talk to you about this new book. I would love to. Because we are obsessed. Mm-hmm. We read a lot of books and we interview a lot of authors. And just the way that you have set this up, I was telling staff like before you joined our Zoom, like I even like the font that you picked. I love the way it's structured. I love the stories. I love the way that it's visually set up. It's incredibly readable. And also, Steph said this, so I'll give her credit for it, but she's like, it sounds like she's talking to us. And I'm like, it totally sounds like you're talking to us. So Mm -hmm. can you share a little bit about this new book that we're going to talk more about today? So thank you for that, because everything you just said, every single thing you just said was intentional. There is nothing in this book that wasn't intentional, because I really designed it to be, like our programs, accessible. Mm -hmm. Like Everything we do has got to be able to work for all different kinds of learners and all different kinds of thinkers and all different kinds of people who process information differently and process visually differently. I really struggle with visual processing myself. Whoa, that's a weird connection (laughs) because so does she. Well, and Diane does in a different way, interestingly. And so the font, the layout, the bullets, the color, like I had to fight for a lot of stuff. I have a great publisher. I was very pleased with my publisher. But I had to really push for it and say, no, we can't do that. They can't read it. And so I did one podcast with somebody. The entire podcast about the book was exactly about this, about the layout and structure and component of it. Because the other thing is there's a very clear structure in the content, not just visually. But the very beginning of the book, in the introduction, I invite people to read it any way they want. Mm-hmm. So you can read it start to finish, and I think it's probably best that way. But you can also read just the sections on strategy or just the sections on self-talk. Or there are lots of other ways that you can digest the information in a way that meets how you process information. And that's what I was going for. And so thank you, because that acknowledgement really makes a difference. And I really also, Steph, was really going for a conversational tone. Yeah. I wanted it to sound like we're talking. I could picture you talking to me (laughs) because I know you. That was the added bonus. It was designed to be, let's sit down with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and let's talk about this stuff. Yeah. Let's get real. So we should tell them what the book's called. Should we tell them? Yes. Yes. Go into all that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So the book's called The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids with ADHD, Anxiety, and More. And I like to emphasize the more. Because what I wanted was ADHD, anxiety, Asperger's, autism. I wanted to list it, list it, list it, and have the font keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But I got vetoed on that one. <laughs> and they were probably right on that. So <laughs> I can imagine searching that. <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't matter what the issue is that your kids are dealing with. If your kids are struggling with some kind of life issue or learning issue, right? And whether they're your kids or your students, because it was written for both parents and teachers and other providers. If the kids are struggling, and what I've noticed these days, right, now it's not just complex kids, but it's complex times. So every kid is complex now because we're in such a bizarre dynamic. 
Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what the issue is. What we know is that this approach, this coach approach, for an adult to use this approach, it will help create a healthier environment for these kids to take ownership of their lives, which is really what we're trying to get them to do at the end of it. I had the exact same thought as I was reading it. I'm like, yes, this is totally the population of students that Steph and I work with and the population of parents that you guys work with. But really, there's so much in here that is simply just good knowledge for parents of typical kids as well that can be really impactful of intentional parenting. I think parents who are parenting complex kids go towards the research and towards the books because they realize they have to have a higher degree of intentionality than maybe parents who have really high functioning kids who are typical and hitting milestones and doing all that. I think that you're right on target. And this book really is about parenting with intention. It's about conscious parenting and collaborative parenting. It's who we all want to be as a parent. Most of us, I would say, you know, that are conscious humans are trying to move in that direction. And sometimes you just don't know how. You know, and so this is about some skills and some concepts and strategies from coaching that help you with the how. And also, it's about giving you the language because sometimes it, I just I know what to do. I just don't know how to say it. I love how much you're vulnerable in it and talking about your three children and the struggles that you had with all three of them in different ways and how, you know, your eldest is very much there are all the things that set you up to get into this line of work and how many people have been impacted because of it. And I think that's amazing too. Thank you. So you've come out on the other side and they're amazing. You talking about your journey and I, what I found was really interesting was you breaking down the phases of parents and the types of parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I called a dad out on it this morning. I'm like, you're what we call bootstraps bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he laughed. It was great. <laughs> I love this section and the images and the names that you give to different types of parents in the, I think you call it the unhelpful but common reactions right. <laughs> section. Is that what it's properly named? Let me, yes. Common but unhelpful parenting reactions. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit? You've really categorized them. And we all know all these parents. We do know all these parents. And we are many of these parents. Like, let's be real. So when Diane and I first started, we had these five, we called them avatars, right? They were kind of like the uber categories of parents. And those were in the sanity school when you learned it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Conscious Connie is the parent we all want to be. And we all have a little Conscious Connie in us, and we're trying to get to more of, of her or him, Conscious Carl. And then there's Super Mom Sue and Lost Lois and Angry Anne. And I'm trying to remember what the four first ones were. Uh, I'll come back with it. And then at some point, we realized that there were these like five main ones, but that really wasn't catching at all. There was really more. Mm-hmm. The first one we added was Fix It Fran, mm-hmm. right? Fix It Fran's the one that comes in and, you know, she's got her checklist and she's going to get it all done. And then as I started writing the book, it just felt like I was missing too much. And, you know, because there's the anxious parents and there's the high expectation parents. There's the, there's nothing wrong with him. He's like me parents. And then there's playful dad. And again, we all know these characters, right? Because we all play these different roles. And I think when we can be transparent and call ourselves out on it, 
right? It's not to make them wrong or bad. It's just to recognize when that role isn't helpful so that we can shift into something that is more helpful. Because sometimes it's great to be playful dad. And this is one of those instances where, you know, people shy away from the labeling, but the labeling really gives you the context and the language Uh to recognize what's going on and be more conscious. Right. And so I loved that. Just curious as to why a few of the avatars don't have alliteration. Uh, Because I couldn't make it work. (laughs) (laughs) So my eldest child came out as non-binary a couple of years ago. And so part of what I'm doing and challenging myself with in this book was I played with language and started to challenge my own use of language because I'm trying to show respect and deference to my child and and learn this new world that we're in. And so I wanted a full range of parents. So I wanted some that could be male or female and I wanted diversity and I like it. Sometimes that doesn't alliterate as well. Yeah, because most of them are anxious, Ava, and you know. Yeah, demanding Randy could be either gender or no gender. Exactly. The concept you're pointing to, Steph, is this, I think. We categorize in our heads for a reason. That's how our brains work. There's nothing wrong with creating categories. The question is whether we choose to put judgment around it. 100%. Right? And so what I want to do is, is help us see where am I without judging myself for it or without judging you for it and saying, okay, this is how it's showing up. What part of this do you want to keep? So part one of the things we talk in the book is the three magic questions, right? What's working? What's not working? What do you want to do differently? And in every aspect of this, we can look and say, okay, what part of demanding Randy is healthy and good and constructive for my kids? It's good to set expectations and set the bar high. And what part of it is making it impossible for them to reach that? And how do I shift it so that I can set a bar high and then help them reach it and hold it accountable as an example. And we got to keep it light. That's the other thing. We tend to be really heavy and serious as parents, especially when our kids have really complex issues because we're worried and it's fair, right? It is fair. And when we lighten it a little bit and play and laugh with it, because we're human and this is just part of what it is to be a human experience, it really makes it easier to manage it. Explain the uh, four phases of parenting really quickly. Yeah. We're playing with a language I feel like I haven't landed yet because it's not the four phases of adulting. I don't know what it is, but it's basically the four roles that adults play because it's both parents and teachers, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of how do we foster independence in kids? And so we tend to look at kids and size them up and say, well, this is where they are. And what we're asking parents to do with these four roles is to really look at, okay, this is where a kid is. What do they need from me now? So the four phases really quickly. Phase one is direct, and that's where everybody starts. We all know how to be a director. We tell them what to do, when to do it, why, what's important about it. That's phase one. And part of what happens with complex kids is a lot of parents get stuck there. A lot of teachers get stuck there, right? Well, they don't have the executive function. They need us to. And so we just keep telling them what to do. But by doing that, and we stay there, they stay there, and they never have agency and ownership because they don't need to because in phase one, it's my agenda as the adult. So phase two is the collaboration phase. This is where most of us need to spend most of our time with kids. We want to start as early as possible because in the collaboration phase, we're sharing the agenda. It's not just my agenda that you do your homework. It's our agenda that your homework gets done. 
right? It's yours too. And so when we begin to share it, we begin to give them a sense of agency and ownership. So that's phase two. And I'm not putting ages on these because it's going to depend on where the kid is and what their development is and what the issue is. Because a kid may need you to be in phase one in some areas and further along the line in others, depending on how motivated they are. Yeah, it's fluid as they grow and things change. Absolutely. Exactly. So phase one is direct. Phase two is collaborate. Phase three is support. In phase three, basically now it's their agenda and we have moved into a support role of their agenda. It's really no longer up to me whether their homework gets done or not. It's really their job at this point. Generally speaking, we're talking high school kids. Some kids are absolutely able to do some areas much younger. Like, you know, a sports kid who's really motivated to get to soccer, maybe in charge of their whole soccer stuff earlier and maybe ready for a parent to be in phase three, but they're still in phase two around everything else, right? So it just, Mm -hmm. it kind of depends. And then phase four is champion. And that's really when they are leading their own life and we're the cheerleader and the champion and we're the ones that they come to when they need some guidance or troubleshooting. We're not in an active support role. It's a more passive support role. We're there when they need us. But again, it's their agenda. So the first two phases, it's our agenda, it's a shared agenda, then it moves into their agenda and then their life. I'm just thinking about an example that you gave from the story that your kids were all happy and engaged and watching TV together and you were feeling stressed out (laughs) and you were talking about how you were seeing all the things that needed to get done, but your children were content and happy and engaged with each other. And can you talk a little bit about what took place and what you learned from that example? Because I think it resonates. My own mother, by the way, will talk about that she was so busy doing all the other things, making sure the dishes were done. Like she missed out on some like bath time routines that my dad, brother, and I had that were like fun. Right. And she had no idea about them. Yeah. And so that's been a big lesson for me. I remember where I was in the house. It's such a vivid memory because I remember walking in and it's like I started barking orders. I looked around. It's like, they're not doing anything productive, right? Which is my whole, I have whole value on efficiency and being productive and whatever, right? (laughs) And so I come in and I'm like ready to start, you know, getting the troops moving, right? They all kind of looked at me with that, like, what do you want, lady? You know, (laughs) like, we're watching a television show here. I've got a puzzle going on, you know, whatever it was. And I remember, like, at this moment of, oh, wait, this is my issue. This has actually got nothing to do with them. This is about me. And they're fine. And there's really nothing they need to be doing right now. I did, after that, institute a policy in the house, you'll laugh at this, that when the television was on, if there was laundry to be folded, they needed to be folding laundry. And so I always kept a bucket, whenever there was laundry to be folded, it always sat on the living room couch. So that if someone came in and turned on the television, they better be folding laundry. And I better not come in and find you watching television and not fold laundry. (laughs) I do not want my husband to listen to this podcast. So Because the amount of conversation that he and I have about me not wanting to fold laundry. See, I don't mind it. It's my worst chore. But it's a great one to teach them because they can do it wrong and it's fine, right? It's a great chore for kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) That policy, if you will, came about after (laughs) I had that episode coming into the room. 
that was a perfect example of my agenda was, it was my anxiety, really. But something should be being done, right? Because there was so much to do. It, we should be doing it now. And that notion that, you know what, part of being as a family is chilling out and enjoying being together as a family. I have a colleague I work with, a guy named Matt Chavlovich, who is a former high-end athlete. And he taught me something that I love. He says, you know, a rest day is still a training day. Ah, like, isn't that great? A rest day is still a training day. Yes. Because we need to build in rest. We need to build in breaks. We need to give our brain the break, our bodies the break. We need to play. Those are essentials of life. They're not additive things that you should fit in. They should be components. So when my kids were doing scheduling or planning, part of what I would say is when's your break? How long's your break? What are you going to do on your break? The break was part of the assumption. Now, there were definitely times where it's like, I'm on a break, mom. I'm like, yeah, you've been on a break for three hours. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. There was imperfection here. Don't get me wrong. But the notion that break is part of the process, I think is really important. And as parents, I think that can be hard to remember because we do have so much to do. Mm -hmm. It's so full. Plan in the, when do you have break time? What are you going to do that's fun? How are you going to enjoy yourself? How are you just going to be a kid? It's so true. When we're working on calendars, I'm looking with my clients next week forward. I'm like, delete all this stuff that's actually not happening next week. You're not going to those classes. And look at the white space mm -hmm. on your calendar because that white space is so juicy to them. And it's juicy to me to see it on my calendar too. So I love that. My single favorite email is the one that comes on like a Sunday morning from Google that says, you have nothing on your calendar today. <laughs> it's the best email I get all week long, right? Do you think about ways to fill? No, you don't. No, because I know I'm going to fill it. I know I'm going to do something. I'm hyperactive. I don't sit still. But whatever I end up doing is going to be what I choose to do when there's nothing on my calendar. And that, that is some juicy white space. Yes. That's the good stuff. You spend quite a bit of time in the book talking about focusing on relationships, which what my mother regrets is that she wasn't. She was it always goes back to doing the dishes because I didn't grow up in a house where they put dishes in the dishwasher. My mom washed all the dishes by hand because she felt she did it better than the dishwasher. <laughs> Bless her heart. <laughs> well, that's a nice way of saying it's very Southern of you. And I don't mean that in a Southern way because that wouldn't be very nice. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> that's how I mean it. But we use the dishwasher in our house, my husband and I. But Wait, can I just tell you a quick caveat on that? Just please hold the story. But Jeff Copper, uh, who's Attention Talk Radio, tells a story. Because in our day, I mean, fairness to your mom, dishwashers didn't used to work so well. And so you used to have to wash the dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. And so Jeff Copper describes his dishwasher as a drying rack. Uh -huh. My mother will insist that her old dishwasher is still better than ours, our new one that we have in the house. Like, because they don't make them like they used to anymore, right? <laughs> But she only ever uses it on like big family events. But don't worry, because they still wash everything by hand and then put it in. Right. <laughs> There's just a lot of dish talk right now. But <laughs> And we're dishing on your mom. But you yeah, know. yeah, exactly. <laughs> she would admit this because she says now she's like, I don't know what I was thinking. 
Yeah. It was like a blink of an eye. You guys grew up and you guys talk about this stuff and she has no relationship with it because she missed out. It's it's a big lesson yeah. for me in terms of like where are the priorities in this particular moment. So can you talk about parents who are task oriented, who are productivity oriented, how to sort of make the transition into focusing on the relationships and what's actually important in the moment. Talk about all the time. And especially for a lot of parents that are very successful and very driven, it's very hard. Yeah. Well, and that was really my story is I'm all about productivity and efficiency and you got to get it done and I'm hyperactive. And, you know, we're, if I'm not moving, then like, you know, I'm, I'm a slug, right? I'm dead, right? And I'm constantly looking for input. And everybody in my house has ADHD, but we have different flavors of it. So only one of my kids has my version of hyperactive. The rest of them have a very different relationship with energy than I do. And so that was always hard for me. Like I couldn't get the family out of the house on a weekend before three o'clock. Like, what is this? You know, (laughs) I mean, what you're bringing up is so key and it's so hard because when you are task oriented, when you're a doer, like being feels slow and it feels hard and it feels foreign and it feels unproductive. Yes. And so sometimes it's about looking for the doing and the being. We can be together by doing a puzzle together. We can be together by, you know, like games is a great way to be together for doers. Mm-hmm. That's my jam. Right. But some kids don't like that. They don't want to do while they're being. And so we need to sort of recognize the dynamic in it. But what I've learned over the years is that if all else fails and you don't know where to focus and you don't know where to start, there's always only two things to choose from. You either start with self-care or you start by leaning into relationships, period. There is nothing more important, nothing more foundational than building the trust that comes from building a relationship because the trust is where kids learn. The trust is where the all the good hormones are kicking and firing and where they have the ability to be receptive to learning and growing. When they feel scared, when they feel at risk, that's when they're going to shut down. And if they don't feel connected, that's kind of scary. So building trust, building relationship is probably our number one goal as a parent. And the task relationship thing, it's interesting. I learned that from one of my kids when she went away on a gap year. She came back and what she had learned from her peers was that she was so task oriented that she was missing the chance to build the relationships with her peers. And they're the ones that said to her, sometimes it's not as important how quickly we set up camp. You know, like sometimes it's not about the thing. It's about us being together. And so she actually taught me that and brought that back to us and brought that to me. And it was a great lesson for me to go, oh yeah, sometimes I could just sit down and maybe not even fold the laundry while we're watching something if it's really compelling. But it's hard for those of us who have that need to do, you got to work on it. You got to learn to let it go. The, the term we teach, one of the things we teach in the book is GMO, good enough, move on. Um, allowing something to be good enough, allowing a kid to do it their way and not have to go back and do it after them. Challenging our own perfectionism 
is I think one of the hardest things for us to do as parents and probably one of the most important things because we don't realize all of the ways that our perfectionism sends these subtle messages to our kids that they're not good enough, that it's not okay to make mistakes, that we inadvertently create this cycle of perfectionism that we don't realize we're doing. A hundred percent. And I'm a recovering perfectionist. Me too. I have an article called I'm a recovering perfectionist. Like, <laughs> I'm trying real. very hard. It's hard. Look, Steph, we're, we got a podcast, we got businesses, Elaine's got a million projects going on. And we're high achievers. People who were driven. Yeah. And we're driven to do well. And so Steph can attest whenever there is a misstep, I realized I screwed up on an email that I sent to a family in my practice. And it was a minor thing, but literally my eyes were closing. It was like 1130 at night. And my eyes were closing and they shot wide open and I'm thinking it's 1130. I can't call Steph to have her tell me everything's going to be okay. Cause she's probably already sleeping. And I called my husband in and I was like, this is how I screwed up. This could be really bad. And he just was listening to the story and he's like, okay, whatever with the family, but everybody else on that email knows, likes, and loves you. Right. They're going to offer some forgiveness for you. It's fine. Right. It's fine. And then I had to call everybody on the email that get an affirmation that it was fine because they didn't even realize. <laughs> and my response was, don't send an email at 1130 at night. No, I didn't send it at 1130 at night. I had sent it during daytime hours and I uh, realized at 1130 at night that I made a mistake. So, but here's the thing. Okay. Making mistakes is really human. It's kind of what we do. It's how we learn. Yes. And when we can model it instead of avoiding it or being embarrassed by it or being shamed by it or any of that other stuff, it's amazing how much people love and gravitate to when you make a mistake. Our clients, it's their favorite thing. I shouldn't say this out loud, but the number one way to get somebody to open an email is to write oops in the subject. People love people's mistakes. That's so, we'll put that in the subject of this week's email. Right. When one of my team members makes a mistake and it happens with an email and our emails may go out to, you know, 20,000 people, it's like, that's a big oops, right? Mm -hmm. My response is always, okay, so what's the oops email, right? Because, okay, so the mistake happened. There's nothing I can do about it. What are we going to do? What's the oops going to be? Because you can't go backwards. You can never go backwards. And so here you are. What can you learn from it? When I first started coaching over a dozen years ago, an intention I set for myself was I was trying to stop being late all the time. And so I decided I was going to stop making excuses for being late. It might be true that there was a truck parked in the driveway, that I missed every light, that the traffic was slow. All of that was true. What was really true was that I didn't leave early enough and give myself enough time to get there in case there was a truck in the driveway or the traffic was slower. I missed every light. And so I started showing up to places saying, I'm really sorry. I just left too late. I didn't get here on time. And I would own it. And not only were people never mad, but it was almost as if it attracted them to me. Because then it's like, oh, wow, here she is being human. I never say that out loud. And people really do like that. And our kids like that. Like the best thing a parent can do is say, oh, wow, did I do that wrong without beating yourself up for it, right? Not making yourself wrong for it, but oh, I made a mistake. 
is a great thing to say to your kids. Trying to pretend you know everything and you never do anything wrong is the worst thing you could do because everybody hates a goody two-shoes. It's true. So true. My clients love it when I make a mistake. They do. They love it. My team, I did tell them about it. I'm like, look, I did this. And by the way, I'm much more compassionate when they make a mistake than when I make a mistake, but I'm working on it. Yeah. But I like just going to the next step and going, okay, what's the oops email here? I like it. That's another Elaineism that's going to stay inside. <laughs> it really will because I was thinking, oh man, I was the goody two shoes that I just look back and I'm like, oh. it's kind of insufferable. <laughs> so let me tell you, my middle kid was that goody two shoes. We worked so hard to help her learn to accept that other kids weren't rule followers like she was and that didn't make them bad. Mm-hmm. It was a really conscious, when my, when that kid started cussing, I was like, yes, yes. you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> because really that's what tolerance comes from. That's what acceptance comes from. And when you become too rigid, then it really blocks off your capacity to connect to people. And I think that's why I gravitate towards the kids that are very, very, very rigid. And a lot of my clients are very stuck or have a very hard time with school or even coming to see me and things like that. And that's sort of the difficult kids are my jam. Yeah. Those are the ones that I work really, really well with. I never would have imagined that, but it just seems to work. Because they need you. They need to see the path. I just look back and I think for my own growth, thank goodness I'm not still a goody two-shoes. I'm, I'm, I'm relieved that I'm not. <laughs> I was this weird blend. I was a goody two-shoes to a point and then it was like, oh, don't tell me what to do. Mm. <laughs> it was almost like I had two different ships on my shoulder, uh-huh. you know, but I had both of them, which probably balanced out well for me. But this one kid of mine did not. And the, the challenge was to not only help her learn to sort of become more accepting of other people, but also to help her siblings part of that conversation without them judging her for it, right? That was also an interesting dance, but it's a great one. It's a really important shift to be able to have structure with flexibility to see when it's time to say it's enough, you know, to give in or change or adapt. Every time I talk to you, I learn something new. So I am so appreciative. We're so honored. We want to be respectful of your heart out. Yeah. And we do want to get a little bit of time with you on Patreon. So there's so many other things that we wrote down to talk to you about. So maybe we'll be able to do a round two if we're lucky enough to get on your schedule again. I would love it. No, it'd be my pleasure. Truly, I'm in. Yay. (laughs) Awesome. Yay. Okay. So look out for round two. We'll schedule a follow-up conversation because we didn't get to all the things today, but how can people connect with you? How can people find the book? So I think probably the best way is impactparents.com is the general resource that's out there. It's amazing. It's got all this great stuff, award-winning blog, all that. And then if you go to impactparents.com slash guide, you'll get some information about the book and some bonus content that didn't make it into the book. There's a piece on three things not to say to parents of complex kids, which is kind of funny. Oh, There's also a parenting in a pandemic supplement, which turns out we still need. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who knew? 100%. Mm -hmm. So impactparents.com slash guide. And the only other request I have is if you have the book and you've read the book, please, please, please place a review of the book on Amazon. I was reading some of your reviews this morning. I'm like, look at her. 
the reviews are so good. They are, are they? I will write one. I haven't done it yet, but I will. Please, please, please. I appreciate it. <laughs> we'll include all the links, but Elaine, thank you so much for being here. Yes. Truly, truly my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And it's great to be with you guys. And I love to see what you're creating. It's very exciting. Thank you. Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week.